Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Theater Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, in Oscar Outlook, I'm going to give you my reaction to tonight's Golden Globe Awards, which, as of the time that I'm recording this, just ended moments ago. And I'm going to see how it shapes up some of this year's Oscar races. For our featured films this week, we dive into a demonic pool in Night Swim, A Man Grapples with Tragedy in Good Grief, A Trip Goes Very Wrong in Society of the Snow, and A Woman Gets the Gaslight Treatment in Some Other Woman. Let's get started. First up, a young family gets more than they bargained for in their new home. This is Night Swim. My kids have seen things, and I'm worried something is happening to my husband. I've been looking for you. There has to be some way to stop this. Marco. The film opens in 1992 when a young girl is somehow coaxed out to the family pool. Thinking she is retrieving a toy boat for her brother, she ends up getting captured by an evil demon that lives in the depths of the pool. Flash forward to present day, and the Waller family is looking to buy a home, especially one that has a pool so that the patriarch, Ray, a former Major League Baseball player, can rehab from a multiple sclerosis diagnosis. Ray is played by Wyatt Russell. He convinces his wife, Eve, to buy the home. Eve, played by Oscar-nominated actress Carrie Condon, is just eager to lay down roots in one location after moving from place to place during his ball career. She wants a stable town with a stable school for their children to grow up in. The children, Izzy and Elliot, seem to have divergent experiences at their new school. Izzy finds it easy to adapt and make new friends while Elliot is more withdrawn and shy. One night, Ray and Eve go out and leave the kids at home. Izzy invites her swim teammate and love interest, Ronan, played by Elijah J. Roberts. They decide to take a dip in the pool and play a spirited game of Marco Polo. Soon, things go terribly wrong as lights begin to flicker and Izzy is pulled underwater for a terrifying encounter with the demon. Soon, the demon embeds itself into one of the family members, leaving the rest to figure out a solution to their terror. When I saw the trailer for this, I cautiously predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... Shove it. This was so disappointing. After last year's first release of the year, Megan, from the same studio, I had high hopes that this would be a tradition where an entertaining horror film would kick off the year. But if this is what we're going to get, they can move on next year, because this was not scary or entertaining at all. There were a couple jump scares that were semi-effective, but overall this just went completely off the rails about halfway through and never bounced back at all. I cannot believe that Carrie Condon followed up her fantastic Oscar-nominated performance in The Banshees of Inisherin with this drivel. She does all she can with the script, but there isn't much to do anything with, to begin with. After seeing this and a couple of other early releases of this year, I am not hopeful that we will have a repeat of last January when we had at least some clever and entertaining films to feast on. I think it's going to be a very long month. Next, a man deals with the death of his husband and the secrets he kept. This is good grief. I'm sorry you're having to deal with that, but I'm allowed to feel things too. 
my husband officially died a year ago today. Such a meticulous person. He left behind one hell of a mess. Do you want to tell him where you ended up last night? People feel things that are inconvenient. That's okay. It's Christmas time, and Mark and Oliver, played by Eugene Levy and Luke Evans, are hosting a house party to celebrate the season. That night, Oliver must leave the party early and dash off to Paris to a book signing. Within minutes, there is a commotion outside and emergency lights are going off. It turns out that Oliver's cab was in a terrible accident, killing Oliver instantly. Mark immediately enters into a spiral of grief that also includes grief over the semi-recent death of his mother. And that is a grief that he escaped by getting into a relationship with Oliver when it happened. When he left the party, Oliver gave Mark an envelope that he never had the courage to open until a year later. And when he does, he discovers that his marriage was not on as solid ground as he had thought. He turns to his friends, Thomas and Sophie, played by Himesh Patel and Oscar nominee Ruth Nega. The three jet off to Paris and discover Oliver had an apartment there, and while Mark keeps his true reasons for the visit from his friends, they go on a journey of healing that each is in desperate need of. I give this film a... See it. This was a cute movie. It had the common beats that you would find in a romantic comedy, friend comedy, grief comedy. It's not a perfect film. I wish I got a little more of a darker and emotional story in that they didn't move the main character into a relationship so quickly following the death of his husband. And what I mean by that is that if they were going to do it, I wish they would have done it as sort of like a rebound type of relationship and it was presented in more of a serious relationship and it just didn't seem very authentic that someone going through that much grief would be so open to something new without having resolved his pressing issues first. But that said, for what it was, it was a good movie and I enjoyed it a lot. Eugene Levy actually directed this as well, and I believe it is his feature debut, and he shows enough skill that I am kind of eager to see what he has after this. What really makes this feel most enjoyable, though, are the performances by Nega and Patel. There is one scene with Patel that is just heartbreaking that I wish it had more of that kind of tone throughout. But if you're looking for a light, semi-serious comedy, you can't go wrong with this one. Next, a rugby team struggles for survival after their plane crashes. This is Society of the Snow. In 1972, a Uruguayan rugby team boarded an airplane to Chile to play an exhibition match. Unfortunately, the flight crashed into the Andes Mountains, leaving many dead upon impact and others struggling to survive in brutal winter conditions. It's a story previously told in the 1993 film Alive and now returns in Netflix's take Society of the Snow, directed by J.A. Bayona. The film begins prior to the crash as it introduces us to the members of the rugby team, we see them as anxious youth eager to head to their match and enjoy the moment. 
However, when the plane crashes due to bad weather, the survivors are badly injured and stranded in a part of the world they may never be found alive. With frigid temperatures, they are left to protect themselves by using scraps of plane scattered around the crash site. Time goes by and their strength begins to wane. They lack warmth, food, and hope. With nothing left to survive, they turn to the bodies of their deceased teammates in a last-ditch effort to stay alive and nourished. The film takes audiences on a journey as Nando Parado and Roberto Canessa find the strength to trek through the mountains to find help. It is a trek that adds a psychological toll to their already tattered physical strength. Will they be able to find help in time? I give this film a... See it! This film is Spain's submission for the International Feature Oscar this year. I did enjoy it, and the crash scene was absolutely gripping to watch. I can only imagine what that would have sounded like if I was able to see it in a theater. I really wish Netflix would loosen up a bit and partner with the major theater chains to show their films, even if only for a limited time, because this one had the technical aspects that really would have benefited from a theatrical presentation. However, I did see the film alive in 1993, and I feel that the story part of this is just another retelling of it. It didn't really add anything significantly new, but that's not to say it wasn't a good film, because it was. It just seemed to be a little bit of been there, done that while I was watching it. I will say I wonder if my opinion of it would have changed had I seen it in theaters. I find when I watch foreign films at home, they're not as engaging to me because I find myself a little bit distracted and I don't pay as close attention as I should or would if it was in the theater. I started watching it in Spanish, but then I changed the playback over to the English dub after 20 minutes because I just wasn't having my attention captured. But it is a good film, and if you're interested in the story, I think you will enjoy it. They do not shy away from the cannibalism, but they don't dwell on it either, if you're worried about that. It's playing on Netflix now if you want to watch it. Finally, a woman's life becomes a massive confusion when a mysterious woman shows up. This is some other woman. What is this? That's your mug. The place we got engaged. We got engaged in Amsterdam. That's not true, though. This isn't me. I don't know who I am now. This isn't my life. Eve, the stalking, it needs to stop now. You're the one who's been following me. I've never heard of you. I'm Peter's wife. Amanda Crew plays Eva Carter, a woman seemingly content living on a tropical island with her husband Peter, played by Tom Felton. The couple appears to have had trouble conceiving a child, and Eva's period is late, leading her to think that she is finally pregnant. One night after a business celebration, Eva uses the bathroom and discovers blood in the toilet. Devastated, she goes to the beach and wails her grief. Suddenly, a woman appears in the distance, creating confusion and fear in Eva. The woman, played by Ashley Green, begins appearing everywhere, at Eva's house, her work, and even restaurants she dines in. It turns out the woman's name is Renata, and she has some unknown connection to Eva's husband. As her mental state begins to become imbalanced, Renata becomes a looming presence, sending Eva down an emotional spiral that alters her daily life. I give this film a... Huge shove it. 
Okay, when I got back from this, I had to see the reviews it was getting because it is stunningly bad. Well, wouldn't you know it, there's one review that says it has shades of Hitchcock and De Palma. Well, they must mean John Hitchcock and Reggie De Palma because Alfred Hitchcock and Brian De Palma would never have made such a piece of garbage. Even at their worst. This is a confusing mess of a film that takes a huge right turn smack in the middle, turns the movie upside down, and then does it again toward the end. I am still confused and honestly don't even care to get clarity. It won't help me appreciate the film anymore. I do like to find some redeeming qualities when I watch a film, no matter how bad they are, and the best that can be said about this is that Tom Felton does a decent job in his role, I guess. Otherwise, stay away. There's a reason Regal Unlimited was giving away a free ticket to bring a friend. I wouldn't do this to an enemy, much less a friend. So let's just say I didn't use that free ticket option. I rarely get this aggravated by a film, so I can say that this is the first contender for the worst of 2024 list that I will compile at the end of the year. It'll be hard to beat, but I'm sure some other film this year will lower the bar. The review I read said it was the type of film audiences will want to go back and watch again to piece it all together. Uh, no thanks. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Night Swim is in theaters now and is a shove it. Good Grief is streaming on Netflix now and is a see it. And it's my pick of the week. Society of the Snow is on Netflix now and is a see it. And Some Other Woman is playing exclusively in Regal theaters and is a huge shove it. Now, let's move on to the segment where I let you know the latest titles that are coming soon to streaming services. It's time for Now Streaming. Only one new title coming to streaming services this week, and it's a big one. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon is finally hitting Apple TV Plus on Friday, January 12th, and it is a wonderful, wonderful movie, even though it is three and a half hours long. To hear my full review of it, you can listen to episode 114. And now it's time to analyze tonight's Golden Globe Awards in Oscar Outlook. So, as I'm recording this, about an hour ago, the Golden Globes finished up, and it was a huge night for Oppenheimer. Um, I think it pretty much won almost everything it was nominated for, except possibly Screenplay and Emily Blunt, which I can understand. Emily Blunt, no disrespect to her, her performance was great. It's just the script was not good for her character. Speaking of which, I think it didn't win script either, which it shouldn't have. But looking back at my predictions, I got 67% correct. Not bad. I had a good thing going for the first couple categories, and I thought I was on a roll, but then things got a little messed up once once things got started. But let me go through all the categories in the order that I did in the episode and let you know who won in case you didn't get a chance to watch. For the supporting actor in a television show, the winner was... Matthew McFadyen. I predicted it would be James Marsden. My should win was Matthew McFadyen, so I was very happy with that. For supporting actress in a television role, the winner was who I predicted, Elizabeth Debicki in The Crown. And supporting actor in a 
film, the winner was Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer. I think this is getting him on track to steamroll through award season and win the elusive Oscar that he is overdue for. So that was a good win to see. Um, supporting role in a film went to Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers, which is a wonderful win. Although, to be honest, I was petrified that she was going to fall out of her dress. And if you watch the show, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was incredible. I really had my heart in my throat thinking that we were going to have Nipplegate right on TV. But fortunately, those babies stayed in. So, back to who won. Um, limited series best actor did go to Steven Yun for Beef, which is well-earned. As did actress go to Ali Wong, which is a wonderful win for her. They both were so good in Beef. And I hope it translates to the Emmys next weekend. But I have a feeling you'll find out later this week when I release my predictions for the Emmys. I think only one of them is going to win, but I hope I'm wrong. Uh, lead actor in a comedy series did go to Jeremy Allen White, as I predicted. And again, I will die on this hill that the bear has no business being in comedy categories. It is not a comedy. It is actually a quite serious drama, but whatever. Um, his co-star... Ayo Edebiri also won, as I predicted. Um, Karen Culkin won Best Dramatic Actor, as I predicted, for Succession, as did his co-star Sarah Snook for Lead Actress in a Drama. I'm very happy that she won because she has been stuck in the Supporting Actress category for many years, and she's now campaigning as Lead Actress and finally winning for a role that she should have one or two more awards than she already does for it. Um, best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy did go to Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, which was a wonderful win. And I like how he shouted out teachers and how hard our jobs are, because they are. He could have also thrown in how underpaid we are, but I think that's a given. Everybody knows that. Um, the Musical Comedy Actress... The winner was Emma Stone, which I was very happy about. She was who I wanted to win. I just thought they would go for the story and give Fantasia Barino the award for her performance, which is incredible in the color purple. But I'm glad Emma Stone won because, as you've heard in previous episodes, she's hot and cold with me, but she is red hot in this movie, and I hope she steamrolls the way to an Oscar, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen, and I'll talk about that later, but I'm glad she won. For the drama male actor, um, that ended up going to Killian Murphy, who was incredible in Oppenheimer. I thought they were going to go with Bradley Cooper because he kind of desperately wants the award, at least it seems to be, um, but he didn't get it, and honestly... If he didn't get it with the Golden Globes, I'm not sure if there's any hope that he's going to get that elusive Oscar this year. Um, but, you know, too bad. He'll get it someday, I think. But I do think Killian Murphy is the one to beat in the Oscar race this year. And for dramatic actress, that went as expected to Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. And she gave... An acceptance speech that I think is going to help her 
paved the way to win the Oscar, I believe. Even though I would like if Emma Stone won her second, but I'll be pretty happy with Lily Gladstone. She was really good in Killers of the Flower Moon, although I'm not sure if this is the right category for her, but whatever. This is the one she's choosing to be in, and I think it's not going to matter. And I don't think she'll have um, sabotaged her chances like Michelle Williams did last year with the Fablemans. I think she is a strong, strong number one leading candidate for the Best Actress Oscar this year. Uh, Best Director did go to Christopher Nolan, and I think he's probably the one to beat for the Oscar. Um, Best Original Song did go to Billie Eilish for her Barbie song, What Was I Made For? Um, Best Original Score, I thought it would go to Poor Things, but it did go to Oppenheimer, which you can't escape that score. If you haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, just know that the score goes on from the first minute to the very end, and it doesn't stop. So it was quite an achievement for its composer, Ludwig Göransson, and um, it's not undeserved. Best Screenplay did go to, surprisingly, Anatomy of a Fall, which I was very happy about because that movie is so intricate that... It was a deserved win, and a surprising win. I thought it would go to poor things. Um, Stand-up comedy uh, performance went to Ricky Gervais. I should have known. The Golden Globes, they love him, even though he doesn't really love them back. He's their former host. Um, I thought it would go to Chris Rock, but surprise, it went to Ricky Gervais. And the cinematic box office achievement did go to who I predicted, which was Barbie. Um, Although they showed Taylor Swift every five seconds, I felt like this was a football game, but she was there. Um, Let's see. Best television limited series did go to Beef. And best television series musical or comedy went to The Hilarious The Bear, which is a great show. Don't get me wrong. I love the show. I binged watched two seasons in one weekend once. And it is a great show. It just is not a comedy. Um, I thought it would go to Ted Lasso, but surprisingly, Ted Lasso didn't get anything in its final season, which I was kind of surprised about. Um, Best television series drama did go to Succession, which swept all the awards. And best non-English language movie did go to Anatomy of a Fall, as I predicted. And it is a shame that that was not selected as France's submission for the International Feature Oscar this year. I think some politics played uh, a part in that decision based on what I've read. And that's a shame because I think it would have won easily. Best Animated Motion Picture. A lot of people thought it was going to go to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I correctly predicted it would go to The Boy and the Heron. And I think this is a two film race for the Oscar between Spider-Man and the Boy and the Heron. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. I thought it would go to Barbie. I was hoping it would go to Poor Things, and it went to Poor Things, and that was a prediction I was happy to be wrong about because Poor Things is such a bonkers, incredible movie, and it deserved to win. And finally, Best Motion Picture Drama. I thought it was going to go to Killers of the Flower Moon. I would have 
picked Anatomy of a Fall, but it did go to Oppenheimer, which wasn't surprising considering how the rest of the evening was going. Um, and I do think it puts it in the pole position for Best Picture moving forward. So I think a lot of these winners are bound to repeat at the Oscars. I think the acting categories could possibly be locked up with Randolph, Downey Jr., Gladstone, and Murphy. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out, but I think those are our four front runners. Um, we'll see what changes this week. Uh, looks like we, I'm looking at the calendar now, the Art Directors Guild nominations come out this week, the audio nominations come out, Directors Guild nominations come out this week on, it looks like Wednesday, and the Screen Actors Guild nominations come out on Wednesday as well. And the Producers Guild of America nominations come out on, looks like, Friday. And next weekend is a heavy award weekend with the Critics' Choice Awards on Sunday and the Emmy Awards on Monday. So it's a big week for nominations and awards. And I will come on back next week to tell you if anything has kind of shaken up any of those races. That's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to this podcast. I know there are a million podcasts out there, so I'm glad you give me your ears for this brief moment each week. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. You can drop me a line at cedarshoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at cedarshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcast. Come back later this week to hear my predictions for next week's Primetime Emmy Awards, and also come back next week to hear reviews of films such as Mean Girls and The Book of Clarence. Until then, take care everyone and have a great week. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved. <laughs>